As Christians, we're given the chance to wear something special each and every day. We can wear Christ's love all big and bold, or we can choose to hide it. So the question is, how do you choose to wear it? Hey everyone, it's Karen G. from the communications team at Tower Hill. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. You know you can listen to this podcast each week on your dog walk, on your morning commute, or even when you're making dinner. And we hope it's going to help you figure out your next steps on your own personal faith journey. Today's message is a great segue out of our last sermon series, And today's sermon is entitled, What Are You Wearing? So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's so good to be with you today, worshiping God together. We just finished our last sermon series, which was called Love in the Age of Outrage. And it was really great hearing from many of you on how this subject really hit a nerve for you. And how are we supposed to be something different in this culture and not just devolve into outrage all of the time. And so it's always great to hear that it's it's hitting home with you. It certainly was hitting home with me. Now, today's message is technically not part of the series, but I feel like it's in the same orbit as we're talking about, okay, well, what does it look like to actually do this well? Uh, Scripture has this really interesting way of framing it that I think could be helpful for us to understand what it means to walk with Jesus. So do you remember in 2015, if you were on social media at all, this actually made headline news, was the infamous dress photo. You know what dress I'm talking about? The dress where it seemed like it was a couple of different colors And the internet just blew up in 2015. Here is a picture of the dress from left to right, different ways that people saw the dress. So some people would see it, starting from the left, as gold and white, a gold and white dress. And then other people would look at the same picture and see that middle one where it's like kind of gold and a little bit blue. And then the one on the right, which was black and blue. Yes, same dress. It wasn't a color, you know, nobody messed with the colors or anything. It was the same dress. And everybody's freaking out. How's this possible? How can you see gold and white? I see black and blue. And, And it was a whole thing. And interestingly, the reason why so many people saw it differently was to do with how our eyes perceive color and light. And depending on the exposure or what device that you were looking at the image on depended on how you saw it. It was sort of like up to the viewer's interpretation, the the colors that were sort of happening in their brain and what they saw, and it gave different colors. By the way, the actual color of the dress is that one on the right, the black and the blue dress. And it seemed crazy that we could perceive it any other way than how we saw it. And what was interesting afterwards was that the, the people who sold this dress, right, the maker of this dress, they couldn't keep up with the inventory. It became the coolest thing to own one of these dresses that set the internet on fire. In fact, owning the dress became a sign of status. Isn't that funny how that happens with the things that we wear? It could be a sign of status. 
status, certainly like celebrities. I mean, my goodness, you just saw a couple of weeks ago the Met Gala. And if you didn't watch it, you saw pictures of the celebrities coming to and from it and the different gowns and, you know, different clothes that they were wearing. And whenever, and it's this whole fashion thing that I don't know that I totally understand, but I appreciate there's probably a lot of really cool stuff to it that I don't understand because people make a really big deal out of it, especially this moment fashion wise. And I remember um, the same thing that happens in all these shows or these awards is you get a a reporter on the red carpet and they come up to these celebrities and you know what question they ask them it's who are you wearing well i'm wearing oscar de la renta and i'm wearing yeah that's pretty good right i know a little bit of fashion um but you know there's it's a big deal because not everybody gets to wear the clothes from these high name celebrity designers only the very elite the very in crowd the people with the most what status And so wearing these clothes is a sign of status. These are the clothes you can't get anywhere else. So there's a little bit of an an elitism there in that I exclusively get the benefits of this preferred status in culture. And often it's based around what we wear or who we wear, so to speak. But it happens all the time in our lives if you think about it. I mean, I was just thinking about uh, my son, Jason, who uh, he plays football, RFH football. He's in the seventh grade program. And actually, here's a picture of him. He's the number 43 there making a catch. And uh, he wants everyone to know he actually made that catch, okay? It looks like the ball's kind of quick, and he made that catch. Uh, and anyway, he. so the cool thing about the youth football program is that the kids, if they wear their team jerseys to the high school football game, they get in for free. And so you see uh, these kids, 6th, 7th, 8th grade boys with their jerseys on, and it's a sign of status, right? I'm on this team, and I get these certain benefits. And you carry yourself a little differently, and you feel like you're part of something. So sometimes we wear things as status that we don't even really think about, that, hey, I'm on this team, and these are the benefits I get. I remember when I was in high school, high school football, the big status thing that we got as football players was the, uh, now back then, school lunches aren't what they are today. We literally craved and we cheered. And this was, this was the Poconos in the late 80s, early 90s. We cheered on the day that they gave us this. Yes, Dinty Moore beef stew and noodles. That was like, that was like the gold standard of hot lunches. <laughs> and there really weren't a lot of choices back then either, but we got so excited when it was beef stew day. In fact, The big status thing, back to the status thing, is that if you were wearing a football jersey, the unspoken rule was is that the lunch lady would give you double lunch for free. Yeah, I know, right? Double lunch, double beef stew. Yeah, it's really uh, really served me well in life. Anyway, didn't see more beef stew. That was a thing. But, But you see my point is that sometimes, based on what we wear, it sort of signals our involvement in something. It gives us a certain status. I am going somewhere with this, I promise. And the thing with status, it's kind of like the miles on the rewards program, right? Where you can upgrade to first class. We want the preferred seating our status gives us. We want all the benefits that our status can give us. Now, also what we wear can not only be a sign of status, but a sign of authority, right? Think of pastors wearing the robes. I mean, what pastor doesn't wear a robe? (laughs) Inside joke for Tower Hill people. Um, But what we wear can be a sign of status and authority. I think about doctors in the white coat. I mean, that's a sign 
of status, but also authority. Authority has been conferred upon them to practice medicine. I've never been to one of the white coat ceremonies, but I've heard a lot about them and how joyful they are in this really cool moment where it's a ceremony that represents the completion of all the work, but also it's a conferring of authority, a passing of the mantle, if you will. We have a church version of this too. We do this with laying on of hands and ordination when we ordain elders, deacons, pastors. It's a way, it's a ceremony that confers authority onto the person, that that your status and your authority are different as a result of this passing of the mantle. You've heard this phrase, passing of the mantle. You know where that comes from? comes from the Bible. So there's a story in uh, the Old Testament of Elijah passing the mantle. Now a mantle, you know, don't, it's not, don't think fireplace, think cloak. Uh, mantle or cloak that the prophet Elijah wore was a sign of status and authority, and he transfers or confers that status to an understudy named Elisha. And I think it's worth taking a look at here. This is 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. So Elijah, by the way, Elijah, one of the most, if not the most famous prophet in the Old Testament. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That word for cloak, mantle is where we get that word mantle. Elijah went up and threw his mantle, his cloak around him, and it signified something, signified a change of status and authority. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So he, he throws his cloak around him. There's a transfer of status, right? You are now going to be a prophet just like I am. And it's a transfer of authority. And you're going to have the authority to speak on behalf of God, the mouthpiece of God to the people. And notice what Elisha does. He's very keenly aware of this thing that's just happened to him because what does he do? He puts his old life behind him. I mean, He literally burns the bridges behind him. He burns the plowing equipment, uses that to cook the meat of the oxen, gives it to the people to eat, and goes. As if to say, whatever my old life was is now gone. And now it's time to look forward into this mantle that's been handed to me. It's important enough to not dwell on what happened before my old life, but to think about what's this new life that God has given me to live. See, this is really talking about, in New Testament terms, the Christian life. Salvation is God giving us a new status. In other words, we who are apart from God because of sin, we stand in enmity with God because of sin. But God, through Jesus Christ, as we're forgiven, we're made right. Or sometimes the word righteous is used. We're made right. We are given, we are made clean. We are washed white as snow. We have a new status. We're no longer aliens and foreigners and enemies to God. We are beloved children. It's kind of like adoption. When, uh, when you adopt a child into your family, the legal status changes, but it's also a status of love. 
I'm adopting you into this relationship of love. You have a new status. You are now an heir. You are a child. As if I had you myself, right? And what does this do? This gives us access to the Father. We can pray to the Father. That's why you don't need a saint to pray on your behalf. That's why you don't need a, a pastor to make sure, oh, you, I hope pastor got to say this special prayer. You got the red phone in your office, right? No, we all have access to the Father. We have the same status because of, well, what Jesus did on the cross to save us. Salvation is kind of like Jesus putting his mantle, putting his cloak around us. It gives us new status and authority. Jesus confers authority to be his hands and feet to the world. He says, now as I have done this, you go. You make disciples of all nations. You will see greater things than these. You will be able to do these works and, and the good work that my father gave me to do. I'm now giving you to do. You're going to do. You're going to be my church. So it's like God has said, that which my son has done, now you are to carry on. I'm conferring that mantle to you. And the incredible thing is like, not only is it life transforming for us, but it just kind of shows like what a status change happened because of the cross. Last night I was watching some baseball and as a Dodgers fan, I'm up very, very late. And I, you know, in, as I'm recording this, it's a couple days before Sunday, but last night was the wild card game with the Dodgers and the Cardinals. And I'm sorry, Cardinals fans, that the Dodgers won, but I was thinking, of the difference, you know, you can have a regular baseball, Major League Baseball, that hasn't been used in a game yet. I mean, I would imagine that has some intrinsic value, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a piece of junk, but I, no one's going to pay like $400 for it. But if I get my hands on the ball that Chris Taylor hit to win the game, on that epic, epic bottom of the ninth two-out hit, or better yet, he signs it for me, what happens to the value of that ball? Well, then, then I could probably sell it for $400. The value went up because the person who, who had touched that ball had put their name on it. The significance of that person, the status of that person gives status to the ball itself. I feel like in the same way with us, we have status and authority because Jesus signed his name on our hearts. But, at any given moment, we can choose to set that mantle down. Yes, we've been transformed. Yes, we are a new creation. Yes, we're made righteous. But at any time, we have a choice whether or not we're actually going to carry that mantle or set it down. There's a thing about a mantle. It's not something that's permanently fixed to us. We have a choice to put it on or to take it off. Like a doctor who is off-duty. And something happens or somebody wants some medical advice and they're just like, no, I'm sorry, I'm off duty right now. Well, I think sadly, many times as followers of Jesus, we declare ourselves off duty when we feel like it's convenient for us. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not going to do that now. I'm on vacation. I'm not going to do that now. I've had a long day. I need this time for me. I'm not going to do that right now because, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I feel like a lot of times we declare ourselves off duty. And the thing is, all that we're doing is, is we're putting the mantle down. We're not picking it up again. We've got to put our old life behind us. We, we need to be the people that Jesus created us to be, to choose to put that mantle on, to do what he has called us to do. 
This is the theme that Paul definitely uh, picks up in Ephesians 4, this idea of mantle passing and as, as if it's something that we wear. The, the love of Christ, the newness of what he's made us to be, almost as if they're clothes to take on and off. Here's what I mean. This is Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And that the verb for to put off is a verb that's used when taking off clothes, right? So it's this imagery that Paul's working on. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Again, like clothing that this verb in the Greek talks about. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's, it's crazy. So salvation, what happens to us in Jesus is a status changer. But at any given moment, we could decide we're going to live into this status or we're not. I'm on duty, I'm off duty. And I love the idea of putting on clothing because that's such an intentional act. Unless you're in college and you just like, first thing you trip over is what you wear that day. (laughs) It's such an intentional act. And we with intention need to put on the mantle of Jesus Christ, the mantle of the new life he's called us to live. It's a decision that says something about us, just like kind of what we wear. Who are you wearing? Right? It says something about us, about our status and authority. Remember when I was a brand new Christian, you know, I had taken up the mantle of Jesus and I was working at the summer camp and I had this life-altering experience. And then I went back to school and some of you know, know my story well, but went back to school and was in the middle of fraternity life. And by the time we got to December, I felt like I was really kind of far away from where I was that summer. I had really went crawling back to my old self in a lot of ways. And I remember sitting in my dorm room in in a recliner chair that was in there, not dorm room, the fraternity house room, in the recliner chair. And I had, you know, a drink in my hand. And I remember the phone ringing and I picked it up, and it was this lovely couple, John and Jody Warner, the ones who hired me, who were the directors of the camp, who hired me knowing I wasn't a Christian, but feeling that God led them to hire me anyway. I mean, talk about an act of faith. And they were sort of like my spiritual parents in a lot of ways. And so December 1992, I get this call, hey, do you want to come back and work at camp again? And I'm sitting here, I think it was in the middle of a party. I may have had chewing tobacco and <laughs> and a drink in my hand, and I just felt like, oh my gosh, I've I didn't think about it this way then, but if I were to put words to it now, it's I, I've set that mantle down. I've gone back to my old self, and it's being corrupted by my deceitful desires. I need to choose to put on the new self. You know, it's funny. John and Jody were such a big part of of my faith growth, and they were just ordinary folks who felt a call to themselves put on the mantle, put on the clothes of Jesus Christ, and it had an impact on me. So let's continue with Paul's thought in Ephesians. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, right? Therefore, this is what it looks like to put on the mantle, the new self. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, 
doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 5.20 that I think is just sort of the punctuation mark on this idea. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are called to pick up this mantle. And here's the good news. No matter how far away you are from that, you feel like you're just a shadow or a shell of the person God created you to be. It's never too late to turn that around. But here's the funny thing about our status and authority. We aren't given status and authority in order to be preferred, to get preferred seating. It's in order to serve, to defer less of me and more of Christ, less of me and more of loving my neighbor. Our preferred status is really about the mission we've been placed on. We become adopted children of God, and as children of the Father, we have responsibilities. And it's everything to do with picking up the new self. Why? So that people will see us and they will see the Jesus in us and through us. And it will draw people to him. Here's the thing. We all have the same mantle. Just because I'm a pastor and maybe you didn't go to seminary, you didn't become a guy, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to our calling. We are all pastors. Uh, One thing I love in the Presbyterian tradition is we talk about the priesthood of all believers. We all have the same mantle that Jesus placed on us the day that we said yes to him. He says, now that you're mine, now that your status has changed, I'm conferring my authority upon you to live in my footsteps. And before you start thinking that only some sort of spiritual rock star can make that happen, I mean, my life is filled, and I'm sure yours is too, with stories of ordinary people like John and Jody and so many, I mean, countless others that I could name, who didn't have huge positions, didn't have huge platforms, didn't, weren't like the most gifted, incredible examples of, of Christianity. They were just regular people. My life was changed by ordinary people who chose to wear Christ. What about what you're choosing to wear? How is that impacting the people around you? What we wear can say a lot about us, can it? Someone asked you this, and maybe it's something you want to lift up to God. Right now, in this moment, who are you wearing? Amen.